Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to a, another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio. And read me, well, we hope to have an announcement on that by the end of the month. I know I've been promising that for a little while. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can find me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I posted a video on Instagram last week about my general belief that NBA players aren't given nearly enough credit for the work, mental toughness, and luck required to be one of the 400 or so people on the planet chosen to play in the NBA. Too many fans, I feel, focus on the millions the players make and the fact that they, the fans, actually spend money to play a form of the same game and think something has to be grossly unfair or out of whack for that to be the case. Now, I'm sure there were very similar feelings about coaches and GMs, especially with the rise of fantasy sports leagues and people getting to think that they're actual coaches and GMs and winning their league, etc. But this isn't limited to sports. There are actors out there, I'm sure, doing community theater who see certain movies and what the stars in them make and think, I could do that. Or musicians scrambling for gigs who hear a song and think, I could sing or write that. Few of them are probably right. Just as a few of the sports fans who look at what I do and say, I could do that, are probably right too. My guess, though, is that most of the people who are reaching that conclusion do so after watching a bad movie or hearing a painfully simple song or reading or seeing a flawed take or story of mine. What is not taken into consideration are the years of work and practice and success at lower levels that led to the chance to fail on a big stage or platform. The lifetime dedicated to getting that chance to fail on a big stage or platform. And it's not limited to the entertainment industry either. It has become quite popular to look at an expert in any field, focus on one particular decision they made, 
and declare they don't know what they're talking about. Trust me, if it's their field of expertise, they are making far more right decisions than wrong ones. But it's kind of delicious to be judge, jury, and executioner and think that we're just a a little bit better than this person that has dedicated their life to doing this particular thing. Now, the second part of my video is what I want to dive into here, because it wasn't just about players being looked at unfairly or judged unfairly. It's that as much as I want to defend players for being smarter and disciplined than they are sometimes given credit for, there are also times when I can't help shake my head and think, what are they doing? And the situation with the start of next season in particular and the relationship with the owners and league in general are the latest example. And that, just give you a heads up right now, that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast, or that I am, because uh, we're at the brink this week uh, as far as whether the league is going to make a decision. And I just, with everything that's going on, they have to make a decision uh, about next season, whether we're going to have next season, whether we're going to work under the collective bargaining agreement as is, or whether they're going to change something. And I can't help but feel I'm watching one of those Discovery Channel documentaries that show unsuspecting animals being stalked by a lion or a crocodile or a great white shark, some predator. And while we often think of athletes as the hunters or the fiercest animals among us, that is not the role they are playing here. Not as I see it. To be clear. The players are at a massive disadvantage when it comes to negotiating with the owners. Always. They always have been, and most likely always will be. It's pretty simple math. They have a constituency of 400 or so with vastly different wants, needs, and resources. And the owners have a group of 30 that all have more resources than any of the 400 and more or less have one common interest, making money. Oh, and by the way, the negotiations, they've been doing this their entire lives. It's what their expertise is. While LeBron and KD and Steph were working on their handle and their shooting range and their fitness and everything else, the owners were doing relatively, uh, if you're going to go with the analogy, push-ups in the boardroom in, in the deals that they make with the players. But think about that for a second, what I said about the 400 versus the 30 and the resources that they have. LeBron James, as famous as he is, as much as he makes in endorsements and his player salary and everything else, and as unique as he is as a basketball player, is estimated to have a net worth somewhere between $480 million and $1 billion. Now, why there's a discrepancy there, I'm not sure, but at the top end, it makes him, let's say it's a billion, let's say it's a billion plus. Even at that, it makes him a middle-class owner. At the bottom end, which I've seen referenced more often, that $480 million figure, he's in the bottom five. Now, the next couple of current wealthiest players, net worth, 
Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Stephen Curry aren't even in the conversation. This is why when I see some of you suggest that the players run the league or have all the leverage, I think, A, you're mistaking celebrity or exposure with power, and B, I hope and pray the players aren't drinking the same Kool-Aid. Look, roughly 40% of the league's players turn over every year. 40% of the players playing in the league this year will not be on a roster next year. That means a single season is of major importance to nearly half the league at any given time. It's their chance to say they were an NBA player and earn all that comes with that distinction. Their one chance. And it's a chance to make more per game than they could anywhere else or maybe at any other time in their lives. So right there you see if the owners miss a half a season or they miss a season or whatever it might be, they'll survive. Their their lives will not change dramatically. They have plenty of time to make make up for it. Players, nearly half of the players... We're talking about a serious dent in the flow of their lives. And you can expand that because it would affect the vast majority of players in a big way. One season missed. As is this pandemic, the, 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 the loss of, of salary is changing the trajectory of, of players' lives and their families. This is also why my video mentioned needing LeBron, LeBron James, to lead the charge when it came to the current disagreement brewing over when the season should start and how long it should last. Ideally, he, KD, Harden, Westbrook, and Curry, the guys that I mentioned as being uh, the wealthiest, having the greatest net worth, would lead a coordinated effort to represent the player's position. Now, I don't have any real hope of this happening. But in a perfect world, those five would meet with five mid-exception players and five minimum, minimum salaried players. And they'd hash out how they could make players happy on all three levels. Obviously, not everybody's going to get everything they want, but how do we take care of all three levels? We've never seen that. That may surprise you, but we've never seen that. I can tell you I had a conversation with Billy Hunter, the previous director of the Players Union. And he said to me, I I don't need all 400 players. I just need the top 90, three from each team. And actually, I really only need 30. I need the best player from every team behind me. Well, how do you do that? Well, you you take care of those 30 players. You make sure that they're getting what they want. The idea, and I know some people have run on it at various times to become the director of the Players Union, was I'm going to take care of the average player. And they've never been elected. (laughs) So uh, in the last few, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of praise for Michelle Roberts, but the reality is in the last few negotiations, uh, the fact that she was there and everyone got excited about LeBron and Chris Paul and a number of top-level stars becoming involved in the negotiations... Uh, But the result is that the CBA was structured to serve the top echelon players more than anyone else. 
It's not a tax cut for the wealthiest 1%, but it's close. And what's really troubling for me is that right now, these weeks of pushing back the deadline on the players or the owners having the option of opting out of the current CBA has been pushed back and we haven't heard from Chris Paul or LeBron or anyone else about the owner's floated proposal. Nor quite clearly has the Players Union instructed its membership on how to approach the subject. We've had LeBron's teammate, Danny Green, express reluctance about starting in December and suggesting that LeBron and other stars might sit out the first month of the season we had another Laker, Jared Dudley, protesting the idea of a 50-game season on Twitter uh, with players with the, the assumption that player salaries were, would be reduced accordingly. I assure you, these were not talking points discussed by or with anyone in the players' union. Meanwhile, do you think some random owner, Robert Sarver of the Phoenix Suns, say, floated the owner's view of what they want next season to be? That would be a hard no. Uh, and for those who haven't been following the latest, I don't want to presume that you know everything that's going on, but the owners have let it be known, not directly. Adam Silver hasn't said it. The owner hasn't been quoted. Sources. Sources say the owners would like to start the season a few days before Christmas in order to preserve the usual slate of Christmas Day games, which is of huge value to its broadcast partners. There was a time when Commissioner Adam Silver talked about starting the season in mid-January or even February, and that open-ended start to next season was because there was the anticipation that a vaccine for COVID-19 would be ready, readily available by the first of the year, and teams could expect to once again play in capacity or near-capacity filled arenas. Well, now with the uptick of cases and uh, testing, etc., uh, that's, that's changing the dynamic. The anticipation of a dark winter, as uh, Dr. Fauci has suggested, is, uh, don't think it's fake. The, the NBA uh, certainly doesn't. The owners certainly don't. Adam Silver certainly doesn't. And by all means, if there was any reason for them to believe otherwise, they would be operating on that basis. They're not. You want to know where the battle with COVID is headed? Pay attention to the plans of the NBA and the other sports. They have billions of dollars at stake to anticipate what is going to happen and the resources to get the most advanced information. So uh, they are now planning on, you know what? We, we can't wait to start the season because it doesn't look like we're going to have people showing up in our arenas anytime soon. So how do we make our money? We got to keep our broadcast partners happy. We got to make sure that we're on TV at the prime times. And as they learn from being in the bubble, playing during the summer ain't prime time. Certainly wasn't. And playing on Christmas, they know, that's prime time. Playing in the winter when people are going to be locked up in their houses, that's prime time. So that's why they need to get this going. I said in my video, uh, it was about a minute and a half, I think, so I said a lot, and you can find it uh, via Instagram uh, on my uh, HGTV channel. I said I didn't need to hear from Danny Green about LeBron's plans. I needed to hear from LeBron himself. 
And this goes much deeper than just having the face of the league speak for himself. It goes to the players having a very coordinated approach to getting what they want out of next season, of being very intentional and united. And quite frankly, it's their only chance of not being dictated to. While the players can't compete with the owners when it comes to bank accounts or revenue streams or portfolio diversity or political and corporate influence, and if that's news to you as a fan, let me say it again. Uh, Mark Lazary and his fellow owners, Ted Leonsis in Washington, even though he may be one of the most cash-poor owners, they all have connections. You see LeBron yucking it up with, uh, with Barack Obama and Steph doing videos with Dr. Fauci. Um, Lazary and his, uh, and, and his fellow owners, they've had these, they, they have relationships like that tenfold and influence because they have the kind of money that can change political lives. There's, if, if, if you don't know that the owners <laughs> have far more influence than the players do, then you need to check exactly how the world works because uh, there's only one resource that the players have in more abundant supply than the owners. And that's visibility. Their social media platforms, their faces and personalities, their celebrity. And that's why it drives me a little crazy when I see LeBron putting out crass or questionable content on social media, calling the president names or expressing snap emotional reactions, complete with bad grammar, misspelled words, and juvenile emojis. Now, look, I'm sure some of his fans delight in all of that, who see it as him being real. But here's the harsh truth. It also makes him appear juvenile emotional, and uneducated, which means it undermines his authority with anyone who isn't a fan, but just another citizen of the world. Just compare Steph Curry's social media feeds with KD's or LeBron's. There's a clear, logical purpose to everything he puts out there. His posts include a share of candid, family, just-for-the-fun-of-it moments, but none of them make you squirm or make you wonder if he really thought through how this might land. I find myself thinking that all the time with LeBron. And, and far too often for someone. Again, I hope, hope this is understood. I say this about LeBron because of his potential influence. What he could be. What he could do. And that's not a criticism of what he is, I, I, can, I can admire what he has accomplished and at the same time feel as, lift, as if he's leaving so much meat on that bone. Uh, my former FS1 colleague, Jason Whitlock, referred to LeBron once as the, or maybe many times, as the black Donald Trump. And everyone got outraged. Kind of reminded me of when I suggested Chris Webber and Don Nelson. It took me a while to get this realization. Um... Chris Weber and Don Nelson, who didn't see eye to eye in their short time together with the Golden State Warriors, I kind of, after everything was done, I looked back at it, and I always thought that 
the reason that they clashed was because you had this young 19, 20 year old black kid and you had this 50 something uh, older white man and that they just couldn't see eye to eye. They were just too different. And what I realized in sitting back is actually it was because they were so alike. They operated the same way. And they were battling for the same turf. In any case, when it comes to social media, I have to say both the president and LeBron have this shoot-from-the-hip use of it that is fine for some college sophomore, but way beneath the president of the United States or the most influential player in the NBA right now. And that's as political as I'll get in this in this podcast. The difference is, and even if you're, even if you're a you know you're a supporter of uh, of the president, you have to agree. The Twitter use, man, come on, we we need to <laughs> we need to lose that. Uh, the difference is, one of them is the most powerful person in, in his organization, while LeBron is not. So, actually, president can get away with it a little easier. For LeBron to make full use of the power of his social media, and I know this this may sound a little crazy to be saying this, like somehow it's more okay for the president than it is for the best player in the NBA to be a, a lunatic on, on social media. But hear me out. Uh, it, it's it's the, pre- the president can get away with it because he has ultimate control over... The government. Uh, LeBron doesn't have ultimate control over the NBA. So for him to make full use of his social media, he has to have a planned, coordinated attack that will not make him a needle mover because he's so polarizing, but a needle mover because he generates and attracts people to his cause. So that's the thing. Like... LeBron wants to be perceived as someone who's uniting us, and yet there are so many things that he does that divide us. And uh, we can go into that list and delve into the many ways another time. That's not what I'm here for, uh, for this podcast. And honestly, I don't know if anyone has ever told him what I just said, but he sure doesn't operate as if someone has. And look, I applaud any and all players who want to be involved in making their communities a better place. And not that how much impact they can have should determine whether they try to have one, but I do look at what they could potentially do for the players in the league, particularly the fringe players. And I feel as if they could do a lot. Far more than I would expect they could do in transforming our political system or making people care about each other, regardless of the color of their skin, uh, across the country. That's a big ask for somebody who's got a full-time job trying to be one of the best players in the world. And I say all this as someone who has never been one who felt all that attached to unions or representation by a collective organization unless I was at the head of it or somebody somehow had some control. I, I, I remember distinctly first joining my first job with the San Diego Union newspaper, oddly enough, also called the Union. But it had a guild 
it had uh, a, a newspaper guild and you were expected to be part of it. And I resisted it because I just, I've always felt I wanted to prove my worth and value. And if that wasn't recognized, I'd move on and provide my services to someone who appreciated them. I, n I never had a doubt that I could uh, kind of blaze my own trail or that I could take care of myself. Relying on the protection of a union, I thought, discharged some of that obligation to do it myself. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That was also before I came to understand how cutthroat and indifferent corporations could be. And I was young and single and didn't have to worry about taking care of anyone other than myself. I still believe in betting on myself, though. I'm, I'm also a firm believer in helping my community, whether it's by volunteering or simply raising my kids to be solid citizens and contributors to society and all-around good people. I, that, to me, is part of doing that. Uh, it's how we all learn to treat each other better. This is one thing I've learned. People are quicker to change how they act when you show them by example not by decree or declaration on Twitter. Don't tell me what to do. Show me. Now, I've also negotiated a few contracts in my life. I've been represented by agents, and I worked with a negotiating coach for a time, in part so I could understand the business of negotiating a contract and creating value, and in part because I wanted to try my hand at representing myself. And this is what I've learned from all that. Don't let what you hope will happen color what is actually happening. When someone is eager to hire me or keep me, they send those signals far in advance and they are quick to ask what it will take to make it happen. On the other hand, if they keep stalling on striking a deal, it's never a good sign. They're either exploring other options or planning to make it a take it or leave it deal. And same goes the other way. If I'm not eager to close on a contract, it's because I'm exploring options or I've got something else that I'd prefer and I'm just waiting to see if it actually comes through. The players don't have other options. Not the vast majority of them. LeBron, the other five I mentioned, a few more, they can sit out and say they're not going to play unless the season starts in January or February. The vast majority of players can't afford that. Not in the big picture. And plus, the owners already have reset the parameters. The players are now angling for a Martin Luther King Day start, January 18th. No mention of Valentine's Day, which would be more in line with the normal offseason and at one point was being discussed. The owners 
have now willingly agreed to push back the deadline on going forward with current CBA or opting out of it several times. We're now at November 6th. I don't see that as a good thing for the players. Not with the owners indicating that they'd like to start training camp the first week of December. And I believe that they're now looking at a three-week run-up as being very possible because, largely, their experience with the bubble. The bubble taught them what is possible. And so I don't think it's any accident that they're working on that timeline. Now, the November 6th deadline, that's less than a month from when the owners would like to open training camp. The players have to know with the current financial climate, it will take years for players to see the $40 million a season deals that they currently have. And the owners could say, okay, you want to start in January? Fine. But we're going to need to revise the CBA to do that. And the players will get no sympathy from the fans because the owners are giving them what they want. You want to start in January? Okay, we'll do that. Just It's going to come with a price. So that means, all of that means, that at the end of this week, the players will face a very tough choice. Do exactly what the owners want and have floated out there, or you can kiss your guaranteed fat salaries goodbye. Now, I don't know why we haven't heard a word from LeBron or Chris Paul about what specifically the players would want, but it's a mistake. You can't have Danny Green and Jared Dudley saying what they're saying. I mean, you can but it should be in coordination with the guys that are leading the charge. And I'm not suggesting they negotiate through the media, but you have to let fans know you are both eager to play and want to help ease the financial burden on the owners, that you are aware, you are conscious, conscious that everyone is suffering. But set the terms of what you're willing to do. Get out there first, because otherwise they're going to tell you what you're going to do. It would also, and this is the most important part, this is the part for me that I just don't understand why the players don't make a greater effort of soliciting the fans' support. Get the court of public opinion on your side. It's, you have access to it. That's where your leverage comes from. And for whatever reason, I just don't see the players trying very hard to make that happen. I mean, have have the fans talking about what the owners aren't willing to do, not what you are not willing to do, which is what the conversation really is right now with Danny Green's comments. And having anonymous reports about what the owners want works for them because their visibility and celebrity aren't leverage points for them. They are for LeBron and the players, yet they seem to be willing to be pushed into a corner where their options are going to be accept the season as we would like it, or we have no choice but to blow up the collective bargaining agreement. Because the players, to this point, not as far as I know, haven't provided, provided any counteroffers for what Christmas Day provides, or how to compensate for a later start. Let's, again, the reality is everybody's suffering from this pandemic, owners included. 
So if you want what you want, make a concession, but get it out there early so that the owners are now fighting the impression that you tried to do something for them and they said, oh, that's not good enough. That hasn't happened. This is why I needed to hear from LeBron, especially in the golden light of just having won a championship. What he needs, I wanted to hear from him what he needs to provide us with all the entertainment and excitement that he just that he just did. I mean, who would begrudge him wanting to give his his best if if he framed it that way? Instead, we have a teammate suggesting LeBron won't play the first month of next season if it starts in December. That's it, because look, he just finished winning a championship. You're expecting too much from him. This is at a time when people are scrambling just to have jobs and pay their bills. It's a song about LeBron and the players that's, that hits all the wrong notes. And LeBron isn't even choosing the tune or playing the instrument. Now, LeBron has no obligation to do any of this. He doesn't know anything to anybody. Even if he judiciously utilized the full weight of his influence took a comprehensive approach to what he wanted for the players and made every other right move. There's no guarantee it would work. But I, for one, would applaud him for trying. It's the same way I view games and performances. The result doesn't determine if the decision was sound. Sometimes you make the right decision and you still get beat. Sometimes you make the wrong decision and you survive. But ultimately, if I'm looking at an assessment of how somebody's doing their job, I'm not going to do it strictly by the scoreboard. That's a loser's bet. Now, I also don't feel obligated to feel sorry for LeBron or any of the other players if they have to go back to work less than two months after their three-month ordeal in the bubble. Not now. All of us are facing challenges we never dreamed of. Challenges we've never faced before. All of us are making sacrifices and going without. LeBron and the NBA players would help themselves a lot in getting what they want by acknowledging that. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The ratings and the reviews are very helpful for us. Trust me. Uh, Just hit the stars. Whatever stars you want to give us, I'm good with it. You leave a a message. uh, You let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to hear more of, less of, whatever. Uh, I'm good with that too. Uh, In the next podcast... Well, we will have a decision. They can't move this, this. They can't move the deadline back much further. And I also want to get into what the ratings tell us about where the league is and an examination of if LeBron can no longer carry this ship, then who steps in? Who becomes the next face of the league? And how successful might that be? That will be all in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.